You guys know how much I love nursing schools. Well, we have another one that wants us to tell you about their MSN and DNP family nurse practitioner programs. Samuel Merritt University has been educating nurses for over 100 years. And right now, they are offering tons of scholarship opportunities starting at $10,000 for both of these programs. You know, I'm in the midst of getting my MSN. And let me tell you, I wish I would have known about these scholarships when I first enrolled. Visit them at smumsn.com and show them how much you appreciate them for sponsoring our podcast. That's smumsn.com. I also wanted to remind you that if you're interested in travel nursing, to go to trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse and fill out a profile so you can see what kind of jobs are out there and you can also see what they pay the stipend the hourly rate all of that i'm a travel nurse now with trusted health and i absolutely love working for them so go to trustedhealth.com be sure and put forward slash good nurse so that they'll know that we sent you there and fill out a profile today Hey everybody, this is Tina again with Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. Welcome back to another week of true crime and nursing and healthcare, just whatever we want to talk about. Mostly nursing, although I know a lot of you are coming here for the true crime story and then you all bail on me because I look at the analytics. I know you people. I know what you're doing. It's okay. I would do the same thing. I get it. I totally get it. No, just kidding. So um, I am glad to have you guys back though, and I have a really special show planned for you. Really excited about it. But before we get into that, I'd like to introduce my guest host for this week. I have Justin Alves back. Justin is HIV and AIDS nurse, right, Justin? Yeah. I'm also a certified addictions nurse, so I like have two hats, but I'm happy to be back. This is exciting. I'm really happy to have you back. Justin was on before, and we, we did an awesome, awesome episode a couple months ago, and it's really nice to have you back on. And so... I guess we can get started. Yeah, let's get into it. (laughs) So this is the story of Marjorie Nikki. She went by Nikki Capello. Nikki was a critical care nurse. Now, I should say this story is a little different because I'm not sure what the outcome is. And so I don't, I'm going to go through the whole thing and I don't want to, well, I'm just going to give you all the facts and people are Innocent until proven guilty. And so right. we're sometimes, in a hashtag allegedly. Yeah. Sign of, yeah. The hashtag whole thing allegedly. is hashtag, hashtag allegedly. Exactly. I just keep, keep that, keeping that out there as we get into the, the details. It gets hard sometimes with the details because you're just like, but, <laughs> but everybody is innocent until proven guilty. So having said that, Nikki was a critical care nurse out of Huntsville, Alabama, and really, I guess, had what many people would consider a dream come true lifestyle or maybe, maybe I don't know, it just depends on who you talk to, I guess. But she was married. She'd been married for eight years. Her husband, name, his name was Jim. Jim was a private investigator. I have to say, that sounds like a pretty cool job to me. I don't know. I like to be the center of attention. And so I don't know if I have a partner who is a private investigator that would go over well. Yeah, like sleeping, she- I'd be like, leave my phone alone. You'd be showing up all of flashy clothes and like <laughs> coming home from work and the scrubs just ready to pass out on the couch. Yeah. And I go through my phone. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think it'd be kind of cool. I mean, it sounds cool. I mean, in reality, it probably is a lot of like digging through, you know, documents and sitting in your car and probably kind of lonely, I would imagine, because you are, you can't really be the center of attention. And like you like come home and you like find them sneaking through the trash like a raccoon, right? Oh, Do you, like what are you doing? Get out of the trash. Um, right. what are you doing? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Old habits, right? <laughs> <laughs> but he had his own firm, so must have been pretty successful. They had recently purchased a new home. They were going to be renovating it, but there was a bit of a facade, as a lot of the stories. Uh, have that I do on the show involving couples. You know, I mean, it happens. People live one, you know, life in front of everyone on social media and, you know, every out in public. And then behind closed doors, things are always as they seem. And this was definitely 
one of those situations, something more sinister was definitely lurking under the surface and eventually would become a nightmare for everyone involved, unfortunately. So just a little backstory. It's interesting because you are an addiction specialist. And so this story is, we're going to touch on that a little bit. He was suspecting that his wife was trying to conceal a substance use disorder. And he was maybe thinking. Can I just thinking, take a moment yes. to just like thank you for saying substance use disorder? Because yes. like I spend so much time talking about language around substance use disorders and addiction and people are like so cavalier and so stigmatizing with the words. And so I just want to give you props for like even saying substance use disorders. Like it's, it's this acknowledgement that there's a clinical situation happening. Um, so and just, just like as an aside. Thank you, Justin. I appreciate that. It is very intentional. I do believe that it's clinical and I believe it is a disease process. So, and I use the term substance use disorder because it is the clinical term that you should use when you're referring to someone who is struggling with this disease. So the person, I do have someone that helps me with my show notes and I believe she tries to do that. And so she, she mess, mixed it up just a little bit, but that's okay. I appreciate it. Total props for trying. I can tell. The effort counts. I think the effort counts with language with patients all the time. Like even if you screw up like someone's gender or someone's disease or whatever it is, so long as you like try. Exactly. You screw it up. I think if you apologize and move on, it all works out. But so. I think people appreciate it. They really appreciate it. They can tell. And if you're dealing with, you know, something that is uncomfortable for you, I feel like someone that the person you're talking to appreciates it. If you'll just ask, you know. I'm not sure how do you want me to, because there are people who do have, do struggle with substance use disorder who will refer to themselves in, as an addict. And that that's their choice. I don't like that. I don't like to use the word. I mean, sometimes you, ha- sometimes I have to say, I have to use both in order, depending on the audience, because I don't, I, I don't want people to be going, I don't even know what she's talking about, you know, or I'll try to educate, you know, but I do a lot of like the teaching by example of like, we're going to use the right words. Mm -hmm. It's like your little kids when they like are first hitting puberty and they don't know what any of their things are, how they Mm -hmm. work. Like, well, I'm going to use the right words. (laughs) You can use what you learned in school and we'll make sure that you know what we're all talking about. So, well, and sometimes I think that that's sort of self-deprecating. They do that to tear themselves down because they don't feel like they deserve anything better. That that's what they deserve is, and, and that's what they think the world thinks of them and how how the world sees them. So they just wear it, you know, they just are like, I don't deserve any better than that. And the self-stigma, it becomes the self-fulfilling prophecy that people can't get out of their own way. And I want to, I'm kind of talking about this, I know where the story is going. And so I think that it's good to talk about because people's reactions about addiction Mm -hmm. can be so extreme because of the stigma that's involved with them. So Exactly. Good exactly. conversation. Thanks for entertaining my <laughs> my language discussion because that's what I would have been if I wasn't a nurse and English professor. <laughs> Wonderful. I love that, Justin. Now there isn't any real evidence that 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 happened that that she actually did have this problem. It's he suspected it, and the family suspected it, and there was talk of a possible intervention. So, so I, you know, again, it's alleged, and who. We don't really know what was going, what all was going on. There was a reason that he suspected. Well, I guess we can leave it I'm that. Like not a, I'm not a fan of the interventions. I'm just really? going to say that. Yeah, no, I don't. I think that, you know, maybe I'm too new age in addiction medicine, but I think like the love and care goes so much further than the tough love mentality that we've had for so long. Um, and I think when people get that tough love, they just feel abandoned again. And attacked. And so like... Yeah, and it doesn't, I've, you know, I've done addiction work for a long time. I've never had an intervention go well, and maybe that's because I'm bad at them. But it's also because I think if you come at folks from that harm reduction philosophy of, I'm going to be here with you, and I'm going to take care of you and reduce the harm, you just tend to see better outcomes. I think that the research shows that. And so, you, you know, you, and I understand that there was a time when, they felt like the best thing was the tough love. I agree with you. I I don't believe that that works as well as they thought it did. We you know when they were trying it that. It makes for great TV, mm-hmm. right? Have you seen the show with the, mm-hmm. the the 
person who shall not be named. Who I don't. <laughs> yeah. But I think that, right, it makes for decent TV. I don't think it makes for great healthcare. I completely agree. I, 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 I do believe treating our um, loved ones and our family and our friends the same way we treat anyone who has a disease process that you, uh, now there are some things that we do inflict on ourselves. I mean, we do, if we drink, you know, some people eat too much sugar and, you know, carbs over a long period of time and get, and develop type two diabetes. And I, I, I don't know that people stage interventions for, for people like that. I mean, maybe they do. I don't, haven't heard of it, but again, I don't think that would, be helpful, even if people were doing something ridiculous like that. There are lots of disease processes out there that we we kind of bring on ourselves, you know, and it's it would be better if we could change our lifestyles and it would be healthier. But encouragement goes a long way and letting someone know I that look, I know you're struggling with this. I have things I struggle with myself. That one's not one of them, but thank God it's not one that I struggle with. But I I I'm I can empathize with you and I, and I, I love you and I, I want you to do better and I'm here for you. That doesn't mean that you're enabling them. And I think that there's a, that some people get those two mixed up (laughs) on both sides. You know, there can be people who are wanting to do the sort of tough love that that think, well, if I do anything other than tough love, I'm, I'm enabling. And there are people who think, well, I want to encourage and stand by them who cross the line into enabling. Well, and I think that that's that the concept of enabling is always an interesting one for me. Cause like, what am I enabling? Mm-hmm. Like what that them to be alive and happy? Mm-hmm. How dare you let somebody be happy? Right. Like yeah. who has a disease that if you have a disease, you should always be sad and miserable. Right. Like mm-hmm. I mean, that's a crazy way to think about life. And so I think, I think about it, like I would never tell my cancer patients, like you should just, wallow in your chemo right like that would be Mm -hmm. horrible (laughs) who would say to the cancer patient you need to hit rock bottom that's why this chemo is not like i mean that's and it's not to say that there's not choice in addiction there's definitely choice but i think there's always there's other pathophysiologic things at play Mm -hmm. and so i'm a big i'm a big caring theory just love it out kind of guy I love I love that. I love that. I know that there are probably people listening who have loved one loved ones that they've been dealing with for a long time. Uh, there there was a guy on a few uh, a couple months ago who had lost his brother and he's a ER tech and um he he does a lot of things now to try to help people and he did before but he lost his brother and I know this I know this struggle and that and sometimes it's hard because people who are suffering from substance use disorder can be destructive and self-destructive and stru- destructive to the people around them. And it's so hard to know what to do. It's it's really hard to know how to handle s- situations. That is by definition the disease, right? By definition, substance use disorders have to have consequences and they have to, bad things have to happen because of your substance use, right? Whether it's you killed somebody because you were driving drunk or whether it was you know what I mean? Whatever, whatever it might be, you have to have these negative consequences, or else you don't have a substance use disorder. Right? That's like the that's, point. That's really that's the why whole it's point. a disorder, right? And so that's I think the thing that's really hard for folks to understand is that like if my dad stops taking his blood pressure medicine and he gets a headache, he has you know this like relapse of his blood pressure. That's like a him problem. Right. Versus like if my brother relapses and drinks and like drives his car into another person's car, that's a whole lot of other people's problems. We have these perceptions because of what the disease is. Mm-hmm. That's a, I mean, that's a great point. And I'm, I love having you on because it, you help to educate me and, and my audience too. It's good to hear these things. It's good to hear that perspective because it is a very difficult thing. I, I've dealt with it in my, my family and, it's just so difficult to to deal with. You know, you you have these strained relationships that you try to maintain over a long period of time. It gets exhausting. It gets it just gets really difficult because things just all people get hurt and just right. it's just hard. I think this sort of story brings up a great point. It's not to excuse bad behavior. It's not to excuse bad actions. But it's to give them context to say, why were these things happening? Why does this person's brain work this way? And why might 
negative consequences happen in the setting of substance use. Exactly. I really appreciate your clinical judgment on that and your opinion and your perspective. I really do. It's something that I'd like to hear from some of my listeners. I'm pretty sure I will <laughs> about it. Uh-oh. And that's okay. I I want to hear. Hopefully, I want to hear what you have to say. Please be trouble. nice about it, though, because whenever we're talking about these things, this is a difficult subject, and it's something that is very fluid. It, ch- it changes as research is done, as we we get data and we see, oh, this isn't working. That's you know, this seems to be working. We didn't know this was going to work. And conversation is always better. It's always better. You, I don't feel like we should have to be afraid to to discuss things and to even be wrong about something. So if you think I'm wrong about my perspective, if you think Justin's wrong about his perspective, Justin does. I will say this: Justin does a lot of research. <laughs> I, I will consider him an expert in the field. So just keep that in mind. If you come at me, please come at me with some numbers and some information. Yeah, come with receipts because I'm not playing. <laughs> right? Like I, I, but I do think that having the conversation is really important. So I think interventions great if you're like watching a cable news television show. Mm-hmm. Maybe not so great in real life. Well, that's what they were planning. There's not any real evidence that they carried it out. I, I don't think that that it it worked unless maybe um, some modified level Jim maybe maybe talked to Nikki because something fueled her behavior. It does seem like maybe a trigger happened. Um, Got a little some, weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah, allegedly. Yes, allegedly. All of this. Is allegedly. <laughs> it does say that he did figure out that she she was uh, maybe taking prescription medications from her hospital. But again, there is no evidence of that. And so he had a close relationship with his sister. I mentioned Jamie Weist was her name. She lives in Florida. And they would talk on the phone a lot. He would let her know all of the things that was going on. And the last conversation that she had with her brother was on the evening of September 18th in 2018. And she said that her brother was talking a lot about how he was feeling about their marriage and how strained it was. And she was very unsettled by uh, some of the things that he was saying. And she said initially she dismissed it. And I think this is what we do. I mean, someone says something and sets off some red flags, but you don't want to be too overly dramatic. And so people say things all the time. I think especially if you're a nurse, though. Right. Like, cause we're so used to everybody like comes to you with the, like, what do you think this rash is? What do you think this is? And in your head, you're like, well, it could be syphilis. It could be right. Like whatever. But you're like, probably not. It's probably just contact dermatitis, right? Like you try and go with the horses, not the zebras. Mm-hmm. And so I think that, you know, if you think your brother is a little off, you're like, Oh, did I read too much into that? Is this just him being nervous or am I being anxious? Right. And I feel like uh, anyone would, would in retrospect be looking at this going, oh, I should have said something, but you can't beat yourself up over the, th- something like that because n- no one can ever know whether someone is really serious about something and whether your gut feeling is real or, and so I hope that she doesn't, you know, blame herself because what in the world could you possibly do just because there's some, you know, gut feeling. And that's what happens a lot of times in cases like this. But Jim was reported missing on September 21st. A friend had reported him missing. So it wasn't his wife that reported him missing. That's a little interesting aside there. His sister jumped right in to help with searching for her brother and went to Alabama. And she started thinking about what her brother said to her that was bothering her so much. And what he actually said that really stuck in her mind is that if he were ever to be found dead, his wife was responsible. So for her, you know, I mean, two days earlier. Dun, dun, dun. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, I mean, it's it's very strange. Right? And you're like, why would you say? Now, you know, I think my parents have been married a long time. I'm sure my mother and father have said things like this to me because they like, they love each other so much and they're mm-hmm. like if anyone is gonna do it it's probably gonna be them but <laughs> like and i think right there's always a context but i think if you're in retrospect thinking well that was weird and not like my my parents offbeat sense of humor then probably something to think about yes my husband and i joke around about stuff like that all the time <laughs> all the time i mean so 
if we're, you know, the one time we joke about it and then something happens to one of us, everybody's going to be like, well, you know what he did say, (laughs) you know what I mean? It's right. like we probably shouldn't be she doing had that. that podcast, you know. I really. <laughs> oh man, I know. I just had uh, Tom with just some podcast on last week, and he, I was teasing. I was. I, I also joke around a lot, and I swear people probably think. I'm sure people think I'm crazy because I many times forget because I am dry with my humor and I'm very deadpan a lot of times. And then sometimes I forget to tell people I was kidding. I assume they know that I wouldn't do anything like that. But I joke around about how the the, the show Snapped or my bedtime stories, and I lay there and, and fall asleep to Snapped stories. And so Tom was like, Tina, you know that, you know, I, I'm pretty sure people sit there and watch that and get ideas in their head. And I'm like, I would never, I would never hurt my husband. And he's just like, that's what they all say. And I'm just like, oh, this is turning into an interrogation. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and like you watch these things and I think all the time, like I would totally get in a van with a serial killer if you had a puppy. I love puppies, right? Like, and you just think like, well, that's now that's on layer. People are going to hear that. And then, right. People are going to try and trick me into a van for a puppy. They're coming so after those you, are Justin. Kinds of, <laughs> <but> <laughs> like, those are the jokes that, you know what I mean? Like you, in retrospect, you're like, was that real? Was that a joke? What was the yeah context of that? I know. That's the problem with these stories, uh, and really, I do I I do a lot of shows on stories where I believe the person was wrongfully convicted. I mean, I've done a lot of the stories, and I believe that there are a lot of people that that are wrongfully convicted and that are in prison because and they shouldn't be in prison or have ridiculous sentences for things they have they shouldn't have, and and I believe there. Well, I know there are people who've been put to death who were innocent, who were proven innocent afterwards. So I feel like that our word in, you know, anyone can have a, an event happen and then go back and make all of the evidence line up to looking like you're guilty. And I've, I've, I'm literally putting out there for years, I've been putting myself out there. Anybody could take lots of words that I've said, sentences and put them together. And I'm probably make me sound like a horrible person. Right. The you know? YouTube snippets, like how how bad would your TikTok video be if somebody just took one word from every video, right? Like the things that you could be made to say. It would be bad. <laughs> uh, well, in this case, his sister is sitting there going, wow, he said this. Three days later, he's missing. And so... So here she is. She's on her way to help. The investigators are looking, trying to figure out what's going on. They go over to his house. His vehicle is just sitting there, not moved. So if someone goes missing, you would think that they would have driven their vehicle away. I mean, even if something bad happened, you would think they would have at least driven away from the house in their vehicle, and then something happened. Well, I mean, this is the difference between like living in a city and living in Huntsville, Alabama. Right. Like, I mean, you could come to my house and there'd be the cars and I could be gone for weeks at a time, right? Because I'd take the train or whatever. I think context meant, right? Like if you were in Huntsville, Alabama and your truck is still there and you're missing, that is strange. Okay. Great point. That's a that's a great point. I'm sure they probably don't have like a subway system or something. And, and I don't know, maybe they do, but I, right, I kind of right. We're going to get in trouble. There's probably like bus routes and stuff like that. But. They're just like, who do you think we are? And I'm just like... <laughs> Please don't come at me. I'm sorry. I I mess up. People get so mad and offensive. I I'm above the Mason Dixon line. I get in trouble for things I say all the time. Right? I'm below it, so uh, I'm with y'all. Okay, I'm with y'all. <laughs> I need to say y'all more. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> you'll, you'll have to protect me. I drop all my eyes. Everybody will figure it out. Just say y'all. We'll take a moment to hear a word from our sponsor. You guys, a career in nursing is more than just a job. It's a lifelong journey of learning and growing. And professional development is key for any nurse hoping to advance their career. So how about you? Are you ready to take your career to the next level? If so, now is the time for you to get your certification in nursing. Earning your certification is a major professional milestone. It's a seal of approval recognized by professional peers, hiring managers, and patients. It signifies your commitment to excellence, your level of competence, and can make you more marketable 
profitable in a competitive field, offering 18 different certifications, including 12 specialty certifications. Whether you're looking to earn your first certification, ready to renew, or exploring new certifications, they are there to make the entire process as easy, affordable, flexible, and painless as possible. Whatever your practice level or desired specialty, they can help you prepare your exam with a range of affordable tools and resources designed to set you up for success. And their commitment to you goes well beyond the exam. They provide all the ongoing support, advocacy, guidance, and resources that you need throughout your nursing career. This is your career and you deserve the best. At ANCC, they're going to be there to help you every step of the way. So visit pages.nursingworld.org forward slash GNBN to learn more. That's pages.nursingworld.org forward slash GNBN. And we'll put that link on our website. If you want to just go to Good Nurse, Bad Nurse, you can click on it from there. Welcome, Leah. I just wanted to chat with you a little bit about your experience with CBD stat. Which product do you actually use? So there's four products, the roll-on, the cream, the salve, and the oil. The two that I use every day are the cream and the oil. What is your biggest benefit? How does it help you? The cream I put on every day after work. I'll shower and then I'll put it on my feet just to help my arches. No more shin splints, just my feet feel more comfortable. And the cream has been a lifesaver there. And then I use the oil to help me sleep. So I just switched jobs. I had been working nights for the last eight years. So the oil was huge on helping me come home and actually get quality of sleep throughout the day. And I wake up feeling well-rested and not groggy like some other medications have made me feel in the past. I didn't realize that about the feet. And I have plantar fasciitis. So now I literally cannot wait to get off here and go try that. And then just the sleep benefit, that one is definitely well known. I hear that a lot in the feedback that I've gotten. As you guys know, their products are 100% THC free. CBD Stat has a team of engineers that invented a very unique and efficient process to produce CBD isolate, which is the purest form of CBD. They only offer very strong products greater than a thousand milligrams. If you guys are interested in CBD stat in their product, you can go to cbdstat.care forward slash good nurse, bad nurse. Be sure and put the forward slash good nurse, bad nurse in there so they know that we sent you there. cbdstat.care. Be sure and put .care instead of .com forward slash good nurse, bad nurse. Well, what's weird is here is his vehicle sitting in the driveway and Nikki refuses to let law enforcement come into the residence to search. They're like, okay, something's, you know. Visas. Visas. I mean, her husband's missing and she's not going to assist in the investigation. She's not going to be like, yes, come into my house, whatever I can do to help. If there's anything in here that can help you find my husband. But no, it's like, you can't come in here. I will just play devil's advocate. Yeah. Like if, let's say... She really does have a substance use disorder. Maybe she's been using pills. Maybe she's been injecting something, right? Like there could be lots of reasons why you wouldn't let someone in your home, right? Especially like if you're, if you know your husband is missing and you have a substance use disorder, you're going to cope with that probably by using a lot of drugs. Yeah. I mean, I, that makes perfect sense now that you say that because I'm if she- going to give a little defense here. It does. It alleged, does make hashtag sense. allegedly, right? No, no. Hashtag allegedly. That's perfect. Yeah, because if allegedly she what did have a problem and she, and there were there was drug par- paraphernalia or drugs or whatever in the house, she would probably be afraid they would find that and then she's going to get in trouble and she's probably going to think in, well, that's going to look bad. Well, right. I mean, I think especially with the pandemic, the number of nurses who have a problem with drugs or alcohol has like skyrocketed. Really? Right? Yeah. And so I think when you think about like what happens to you as a nurse if you get caught with a substance use disorder? Like you lose your license, you can't practice anymore. Like I laugh about this all the time, but like if people ask you what you do, what do you say? Like I'm a nurse. Right. You say you're a nurse. You don't say what hospital you work at. You don't say what floor you work on. You don't say, you just say I'm a nurse. Right. But like if you lose your nursing license, are you a nurse anymore? Like, like that's what always comes up. People really lose this sense of identity. Like mm. if you ask somebody else what they do for work, they usually say, well, I work at Stop and Shop and oh. I'm a cashier. Right? They don't say, oh. right? Like it's a, t- it's a whole identity. And that's so a it, good like, point. So people, especially healthcare providers, become super defensive and protective about their substance use disorder, not necessarily because they're like, they have a worse addiction. But because of what happens 
if you get found now. They're going to get their identity stripped away. We see people get so much worse, right? Because they're like, oh my God, now I'm not a nurse anymore. What am I? Mm. Yeah, it's horrible. Oh gosh. That's that's scary to me because uh, I, I, everybody knows, obviously, I have a podcast talking about nursing. I, I love talking about nursing. I love being a nurse. And so, wow, that's, that is horrifying to think about, you know, just that would be such a gut punch, you know, just to. Well, right. And like, it's, it's like, do you stop becoming a nurse just because someone took your license? Like you still have all the same knowledge. You still know how to do it, right? Like, I mean, I guess you're, you're a nurse, but a registered nurse, maybe. I don't know. Well, right. Well, and I think, right. I think these are the situations where nurses with substance use disorders who have very strange interactions with law enforcement or government or hospital administrators, I get it because it's not just about losing your job. It's about losing like your source of income, your sense of identity, like who you are. I can't believe how perfect the story was to do with you, Justin, because I didn't do that on purpose. And I I can't believe it's like this was serendipitous. It was absolutely serendipitous. Just this perfect perspective that you have. And because it never would have occurred to me that that's, you know, very possible that a lot of people struggle with this. And we've also done, I, I did a story a few weeks ago about a nurse who overcame. She did have a problem with substance use disorder and she struggled to get through nursing school and finally did get through nursing school. And, and she was told, Joe, oh, you'll never get a job as a nurse. She's working in the ER now. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it works out, right? Yeah. Like, And I actually think in my experience, nurses who have had a history of substance use disorder, when they disclose it, are like so much more on it. And they actually usually recognize other nurses who haven't disclosed yet. Because they're like, oh, I used to do that. Mary, are you okay? Because you're not looking. You went to lunch and now you're like looking a little sleepy, Mary. And you're like, oh. oh. Right? And so it's, it's. I think they, they actually have a valuable insight that we don't probably lean on enough. Mm, that's really interesting. I, I have known a couple of nurses who were still working, uh, and one of them was actually a manager and, and a couple of tiers up, like a director, like, and is very open, very open about it, which I love because it just says this: it is what it is, and I've fought through it, and you can too. Well, right, and I do think during the pandemic, though, I mean, the sense of a loss and loneliness that nurses have felt is just so big. And so we do see a lot of people coping because like you can't do the normal things you used to do, right? You don't get to like go out with people after work. You don't get to do any of those things. You're going home often alone or afraid you're going to give your kids coronavirus or right. Like we're seeing people really stressed out and really suffering. And so that's, this is my little shame. Like if you need help, ask right like if if you're one of those people i and so just really to give context to like why would somebody with a substance use disorder not open the door if the cops were at it Mm. about their missing husband that's exactly why if they were if they were innocent of his death it would that's a, a very good reason why they would be afraid to let them in that makes perfect sense so what they did though as law enforcement would is they arrested her. Well, they took her down to the station, took her down to the station and did, you know, some more questioning. And then while they were doing that, they did get a search warrant for the residents. So the warrant was approved the next day and his body was found decomposing in the garage. So, you know, I don't know. It's again, I, as I said earlier, as the details come out, it does get harder and harder to just not be like, um, excuse me, but still <laughs> allegedly. Right. Alleged hashtag allegedly. Right. But I think, you know, a body decomposing in the garage is pretty rough. That's oh, it's rough. Bad. Yeah. It's not bad. a good sign. Well, they determined that the cause of death, uh, was insulin poisoning. We've done a few, a few of those stories on here too. Nurses, uh, spouse, uh, killing their spouse and also, patients. I, oh gosh, I can't get on that soapbox. It makes me so mad. They're going, okay, he's not a diabetic, but he's got a, a toxic amount of insulin in his body. He has no reason to take insulin. And they did confirm that there was insulin missing from the hospital where Nikki worked. 
I mean, I don't know about you, but like, don't you have to get like the weird sticker from the Pixis machine? We used to have to co-sign insulin. Like the different color the stickers, hospital. depending on what kind of insulin and you have to. Have yeah. But like, and like, it's like, you like always got to put it back. And I'd be pissed if one of the other nurses just took the insulin home. I'd be like, what the hell do you mean you took it home? Like, <laughs> now I have to get another bottle from the pharmacy. Like, yeah, it would not be fun. No, that's not fair. Get it out of your pocket, put it back <laughs> for the rest of us to use. Yeah. I did think, though, that insulin, because it is a multi-use bottle or vial, some hospitals are a little loosey-goosey with keeping up with the vials, and they do end up all over the place, sitting on computer on wheels or sitting on or in somebody's pocket. That is common at some hospitals. Yeah. One of the other sort of interesting things here is they don't talk about this, but like the insulin needles are actually what people use to like inject. Like if you were going to like crush up pills and inject heroin or inject fentanyl or whatever it was, like people usually use insulin needles. Hmm. Because they're so, so like little, so thin. Yeah. Like I wonder like the drug paraphernalia wise, like did this person, were there just a bunch of insulin needles in the house? And so. Oh. Or was it one? That's a good just, point. Just throw in some more. Hopefully the FBI won't bust out my door after I say this, but I have been Uh-oh. known to come home and, ac- and then like empty my pockets and accidentally have an insulin needle, like syringe, like still in the package. In my, and I'm just like, ah, you know, and I was, I was taken back. Okay. FBI people, please don't come and steal. <laughs> please don't come and arrest me. Um, I, mean, I don't I, steal from the hospital. No, but like I used to work needle exchange. I used to literally pass out needles to people. So I like, my car was like full of drug paraphernalia because I would pass out cookers and cottons and tourniquets and needles. And like, if I ever got pulled over, I'd be so screwed. And I think that that's the stuff that like, I always wonder like, what, what else was in the house? Mm, no telling. Like, right. Yeah. See, now I want to be a private investigator. I made I fun see. of them earlier and now it's coming out. That's what's <laughs> really happening. You make fun of the ones you love. I think you'd be good at it. I think you'd be good at it. You just have to practice, you know, not wanting to be the center of attention all the time. You just have to, you, you could be, uh, if you see those shows where like Mike Monk or something where like at the end they do like the big reveal, there's always got to be people every, like everybody's got to gather around. They're like, okay, this is what happened. That could, that could be you. I would have to do the like hidden in plain sight, like wedding crashers, like stand out, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like blend in by standing out thing. Yeah. Cause I would never be able to be like a wallflower. It would be a problem. <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, they did, like I said, determine that his uh, the cause of death was insulin poisoning. And here's, okay, this is, it gets weird. Okay, people, it gets weird. Okay, we said earlier that it was a friend that reported him missing. This, the friend that reported him missing told law enforcement that Nikki called this person and asked for them to help her dispose of the body. And that's actually why they called 911. Yeah, I don't I don't have anything for that. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm really trying here, but I mean, unless you're trying to like frame somebody, right? Like a frame job. Like you did it and you're going to blame somebody. I mean, but that's bad to dispose of a body. If you're good enough friends with somebody to call them and ask them to help you dispose of a body, that person's probably not going to f- try to frame you for anything. I can't think of a reason why somebody would would do something like that. Would I don't know that I have a friend that I would dispose of a body. I mean, maybe my brother. Maybe my brother would help me dispose of a body. <laughs> but like, I don't know that I have a friend that would be on that level. Do you? See, no. So we try not to give advice too much on this podcast. But um, one thing I always say is just don't do anything wrong because you're going to get caught always. I, I have endless endless material for these stories and these and i i have a very niche sort of topic because it's it's true crime that related to healthcare. you would think eventually i would get through all of them no no it's <laughs> endless i mean just i can find them and it's they happen every day all the time all the time so let me just tell you that I don't think that there's that many people getting away with this stuff. I think there's, there's a lot of people that attempt to do things like this that think they're smarter than law enforcement and 
they get caught. So I always tell people, just don't do, just don't do it. If you're thinking of doing something to hurt another person, if you're, if you are that depraved, you know, in your mind and you're, you're not a good person and you want to hurt someone else for selfish reasons, I'm not going to convince you otherwise, right? I mean, if that's the kind of person you are, I don't think I'm going to change your mind. But can I at least appeal to your self-preservation, you know, your sense of self-preservation and just say, you're going to get caught. So just don't do it. Okay. That's always, that's always my advice. Yeah. Or at least if you do do it, like test out the waters first about the person you're going to call to bury the body. Right, like while while someone is still alive, call me like, hey, will you help me bury this person and make sure they don't call the cops? And then if they call the cops, you're like, I was just kidding. You're like, he's right here. What are you talking about? <laughs> it was a joke. Ha ha. Lols. Now I, like I, now I know who I am going after. No, you're I'm diabolical. I, get, I like how you think. <laughs> <laughs> you're, going all, you're taking all the steps. <laughs> Hashtag allegedly. Just <laughs> keep saying allegedly. <laughs> so... Obviously, Nikki's charged with murder the same day that Jim's body's recovered. She surrendered her. What a nerd- transition. Yeah. Man, we just segue. <laughs> so good. Yeah, right that's just like, okay. <laughs> we just went right off the deep end. <laughs> I mean, there wasn't really anywhere else to go. I mean, her friend is like, I mean, she, can you imagine this conversation? Can you help me bury a body? No. Hang up. 911. Um, excuse me. My friend just asked me to help them bury a body. So that's kind of, you know, what happened. There's nowhere else to go, but the police to go, I think we're going to have to, because when they showed up in the cars in the driveway, they know they already, the friends already told them. What's confusing though, is like the body was supposedly dead on the 18th or or he was missing on the 18th, right? And Mm -hmm. then the 21st is when she calls about burying the body. Yeah. What were you doing for four days? Mm -hmm. I don't know. That just seems lazy. There was a partially dug hole in the backyard, so I think she was probably trying to do it herself. Digging a hole? I mean, how big was the husband? Yeah, I don't know. Like, how big does that hole need to be? I Mm -hmm. mean, again, allegedly, I'm not saying this happened or this person did this, but it just seems like an odd course of events. Yeah, I think that when people do something like this, you get in this heightened state, you get all this adrenaline rushing through your body and you just don't make good decisions. You, you don't have the ability, you know, to really critically think and, and to make good decisions like you maybe could have. She was a critical care nurse. She obviously is a very intelligent person. Right. Yeah. Meticulous. Those critical care nurses that like IV lines are perfect. She wasn't an ER nurse where it's like, like <laughs> I used to be where it was like whatever. hodgepodge. You just like send him up. <laughs> I'm sure I'm going to get in trouble for that one too. I know. I'm sorry. Not all ER nurses. Hashtag not all ER nurses. <laughs> most of us. <laughs> Hashtag allegedly ER nurses. <laughs> well, I mean, the thing is, I think most ER nurses are kind of proud of the fact. Because the thing is, I tell people all the time that nurses that I work with, especially when I'm precepting, new nurses. I always tell them, I try to defend ER nurses. I'm just like, look, we don't know their world. We don't work in their world. And I don't want to work in their world. But I, I'm glad they exist. If they didn't, it would be a horrible, you know, how horrible would it be trying to bring people straight in? They have to be there. And we don't know what in the world they're having to go through. So they're basically there to stabilize and then get them back there to you. They're bringing them to you because because there's needing. 12 others waiting in the waiting yeah. room. Like that's that was always the thing in the emergency room that I'd be like, you don't understand. I don't get to tell them, wait, I'm not ready for a report yet. They just show up and now there's four of them in the hallway. Mm-hmm. Right? Like I'm like, okay, well, bring them in. I don't yeah. know. There's a snowstorm out. We're going to figure it out. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And so as and when you're on the floor, if you're in the uh, in the ICU, wherever you are, keep that in mind that you know, their, their job is so different from ours. I, I just I try to be as kind to them as possible because I don't understand their world. I, I've never worked in the ER. don't want to. She was charged with murder. She posted bond two days later, $135,000 bond. I'm surprised it was so low, but she has maintained a position of innocence and continued to reside in the home that she shared with her late husband. The trial was delayed many, many times due to COVID-19 Here's the thing. Her trial 
had been rescheduled several times. And the last date it was rescheduled for was like in October of 2021. And that date came and went and nobody, and nothing has been said about it. And it makes me wonder if maybe she didn't have, do some kind of a plea deal. Yeah. I mean, that's not really my wheelhouse. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, it's very strange because usually, I mean, I mean, if, even if I got rescheduled, usually that's going to pop up in the in the news. It did for all the other time it's, it was rescheduled. And all of a sudden it's not talked about. And it just makes me think there's some kind of backroom deal that was made. and Some shady mm-hmm. law and order-esque. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm thinking. Well, the motive of his death is really not known, whether it was Nikki that did it or, or whoever. No one really knows. There are some people who are speculating that – um, his sister remarked to one source that she believes her brother knew um, that he would have to separate from Nikki if she wasn't going to get help, you know, for her problem. And so there was a lot of, he, he was worried about the, ch- they had a child together, a daughter. And I think that his sister felt like he was worried about that. And, Nikki, his sister feels like Nikki was afraid that if he went through with it, she was going to lose her daughter in the divorce. That's that's speculation. You know, we may not, we I never, mean, we may never it, know. It's not so speculative, right? Like, I mean, if that's true, right? Like, if there really was this severe substance use disorder, we see this happen all the time, where there's no acknowledgement or recognition that people get better. There's this assumption that you can't possibly be a good child caretaker if you are using drugs or drinking alcohol and you know I I suppose sometimes that's true but I don't think it's always true yeah well his sister is very vocal and outspoken about the fact that she believes her sister-in-law killed her brother she believes she belongs behind bars she she basically is saying she's just enjoying her freedom she's going about her life as if nothing ever happened And it was very frustrating for his sister to see that. She also says that Nikki gives nurses a bad name. She said, you know, we take care of people. We hold their hands uh, during their last breath. And people die in our arms. We take that to to heart. You know, if you believe that Nikki killed her brother, I, I I definitely can understand her feeling that way. That must be really sad and frustrating to to th- you know to think this person took my brother's life and then they're just able to live their life you know without any consequences. What's interesting about nursing and like grief is that like I totally grieve my patients when they die, but when it's your own flesh and blood, it's such a different grief. And like it's hard to explain to people if you haven't sort of been there holding someone's hand when they've died and then also had someone in your life die. But it really is a different grief, and the way it affects you is different. Like, I personally am like almost more bitter when it's like your personal loved one, right? Like you're like you get to that anger stage at a different point. You like, especially if somebody had a part in it, like you're just you're just angry. And I think when you're the nurse and it's your patient and you're grieving your patient, it's just different. You're it's you almost have to be more pragmatic about it because otherwise. Like it become consuming, right? You wouldn't be able to cope every day. Yes. Yes, I find myself having to put up sort of a, a, a little bit of a wall. And I, I do try to maintain some emotion because I don't want to appear emotionless. Although sometimes I, I catch myself and I just think it's, it's hard sometimes that finding the line between showing compassion and, and empathizing with them and it's showing them that you care, that you're not just this stone cold, you know, you know, heartless person, but then do, being professional and doing your job because you have to, uh, I'm thinking about, you know, patients maybe who are on comfort measures who are at end of life and you're having to go in and give them medicine and you're having to educate the family about things. You can't get emotional. You know, you have to well, be able not to just talk them, though. Like You have the three other patients who aren't dying. And they're like, why are you such a mess, lady? Am I going? Like, I thought it was just like a hang. I thought I was here for a quick, like, IND of an abscess. Why are you acting like I'm dying? You're like, well, you're not. But the guy in the next room is. Could you please give me five seconds to compose myself before you yell at me about your glass of water? 
Exactly. <laughs> People don't understand what we're going through. Uh, I just finished my second assignment at this one hospital. I was there for seven months and I, I got very attached to a lot of the people there. And the very last day that I was there, there was a patient who was not doing well. And I was having to help this family through the situation, helping to educate them as to what was going on. It was a very, very sad, very sad situation. And at one point, as they were getting ready to leave, I was just, you know, trying to explain what was going to happen. And they were asking, they always, you know, they'll be like, are you going to be back tomorrow? And I said, well, it's too late. Today's my last day. And when I said that, I started crying and I have no idea why. I could not, I just like, it, well, I, I wouldn't say I started crying, but I got choked up. I couldn't get the words out. And it shocked me. I was just, I, I had to like brace myself. And I just thought, okay, that was weird. Like here I am dealing with this family with what they're dealing with. And I get choked up over saying this is my last day. I could have killed. I just, I was so mad at myself. Well, it sneaks up on you though. Cause you're like, cause to get through the day, you really do have to be able to be like, okay, hold on. I have to compartmentalize some stuff because otherwise I'm not going to be able to do the tasks that need to get done to be caring. Right. You almost have to, to, um, I don't know, measure or safeguard your caring. I have to, now is the time that I can like rub your back and give you a hug and like do all those things because I've, I've done your NG tube. We've fed you. We've given you pills. We've done all that stuff. Now I can be a real person and be here and present with you. And Yes, exactly. And I think I had gotten to that point. It was at the end of the shift. We were, you know, we were kind of winding everything down. And I think I let my guard down just a little too. I, I don't know. It just kind of took me off guard, but they, they were really sweet about it. They were just like, oh, it's fine. I just had to like catch myself. And then later on, I was just like, oh, Lord, why am I crying? They're, I was just, I was so frustrated with myself because I try so hard to just keep it together and not, I would never do that in front of a patient family member. I've always said when, when you're the nurse though, who can't cry anymore, that's like a sign too. But like, if you can't be there and you can't like get emotionally affected, that's like a, why not? What has happened? that you can't be there and present anymore because that's when I think bad stuff starts to happen, right? Nurses get burnt out. They get tired. And none of us come into it, I think, wanting that, right? We do have to keep an eye out for it, though. Yeah, for burnout and maybe, you know, take a break from it if, if that does happen or get some help. Get some help for sure. It'll sneak up on you. So I have to tell you guys about an experience I had with a nursing student. So you know I've been doing travel nursing. Well, this hospital where I'm at has a lot of LPN students doing their clinicals there. So one of them was following me around one day and she noticed my stethoscope. And of course, y'all know the Echo Technology Company that sponsors our podcast. They teamed up with Littman to make the stethoscopes, to beat all stethoscopes, the 3M Littman Core Digital Stethoscope. And this is the one that I use now. So she said, oh my gosh, I've been wanting to try one of those. So of course I let her use it and she just could not stop talking about it for the rest of the shift. It was so cute. She was like, you know, I can't hear anything with my normal stethoscope because I have tinnitus. And so she was so excited because she could actually hear what heart sounds were supposed to sound like. She said, I'm going to ask for one of these for graduation. And I was like, yeah, you definitely should. So just so you know, the echo technology that makes the stethoscope so amazing uh, you can enable it with a flip of a switch. You can turn it on and off. It has active noise cancellation up to 40 times amplification, wireless auscultation using Bluetooth technology. It connects with Echo's free app and software so that you can visualize, record, share, live stream, analyze heart sounds, lung sounds, and whatever body sounds you want to listen to. So you can go to echohealth.com and use the promo code GNBN to get 10% off your order. And that's Echo is spelled E-K-O, by the way. So it's echohealth.com and use the GNBN promo code to get 10% off your order. Did you know that you don't have to go all across the country to be a travel nurse? You certainly can, but you don't have to. I literally took an assignment that's an hour and a half away from my house, and I love it. I can stay in a hotel room if I want, or I can drive back home. So it's the best of both worlds for me. For my next assignment, we're going to get a cabin in the mountains that's about two hours from our house, so it'll really be like a little getaway. Also, one of my really good friends is going with me so we can share expenses. You guys, even if you're just a little curious about travel nursing, go to trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse and fill out a profile so you can see what kind of jobs are out there and what they pay. Go to trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse and fill out a profile. I guess that's 
kind of does it for our bad nurse story. But we have a really interesting good nurse story. I'm excited about about this one. It's really it's good news. So I, sometimes the good nurse story it can be kind of sad too because sometimes people are talked about in the news because they did something and you know maybe they're not here anymore and so sometimes it can be a little bit of a bummer this is a good it's a good story i'm excited this happened in sand island florida and this is on uh october 16th 2021 just happened a couple months ago and tammy and rob brown tammy's a nurse rob's a pharmacist we like him anyway (laughs) i'm kidding (laughs) I think we have pharmacists. I'm just kidding. I love pharmacists. (laughs) Also, not the Tammy Brown that like, there's like a very famous drag queen named Tammy Brown, but that's not this Tammy Brown. Really? It's like a different Tammy Brown, just for the people. I'm sure there's a big crossover of true crime nurse stories and drag queen lovers. And so Mm -hmm. just to be clear. So for all of you out there who thought I was talking about Tammy Brown, the drag queen, that's not this one. Although I'm sure that Tammy Brown has done some ma- amazing and heroic things as well. Let's give them credit. I don't know. I mean, maybe. <laughs> I would. I think define hero. Her- define heroic and maybe. Hey, you know, it comes in all shapes and sizes. <laughs> but no, Tammy and Rob uh, were uh, this married couple that were out on a, a boating, you know, ex- adventure on this island that normally has a lot of people around, but there weren't very many people around on this day and they got their boat stuck on like a sand dune or something. I don't know. A sandbar. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it's called a sandbar. I'm, I like grew up on the water. Yeah, oh, good. So you know what I'm talking about. So like when it's low tide, like you're like out on the boat and like sometimes you don't realize how low the water is and there's like a big sandy bat and then you like get stuck on it. You gotta push the boat out, but if you do it too close, bad things happen. Oh my gosh, it's so scary! But it's exactly what happened. Rob had to get out of the boat to try to push the boat off of the sandbar, and when he did, he slipped and fell and went under the boat, and his leg got uh, cut off by the or got cut by was severed by the uh, propeller. So Tammy, who like, as we said earlier, as a nurse, got him back into the boat. She found some rope and used that rope as a tourniquet to stop the bleeding and called 911. And 40 minutes later, the Coast Guard showed up. So she sat there and attended to him for 40 minutes with this gaping wound. I can't even imagine. I can't imagine having to lift someone back into a boat. Really? Like, you know, I've, like, done that stuff. But that's like, you got to be strong. That's some upper body strength. Yes. And I'm sure adrenaline probably helped her out a lot too. She was probably scared to death and, you know, just had to do what she had to do. I mean, she didn't have any other choice but to get him back into that boat. She knew that he would have died had she not done something. Um, He he could not have laid there and had his leg bleeding, you know, bleeding like that for 40 minutes without her intervention. So... I think that's amazing. And I, I'm just so proud of her. And he was too. He, The picture of them is just adorable. He has like the screen shirt that says, real men marry nurses. <laughs> it's so cute. And I just think that's awesome. And and he's smiling. And I, I'm like, okay, he lost his leg. And he still, he looks, looks really happy. I mean, and she like, I mean, good for her. I don't know that like, I would love to say my nursing skills would kick in like that. I suppose they probably would, but. Not if I had to do physical exercise and nursing skills. <laughs> right? My like, brain would be like, wait, <laughs> Tina, you don't do stuff like this. What's wrong with you? <laughs> I have to lift you into the boat and tie a tourniquet. Now we're doing a lot of work. I'd be like, um, I'm going to go get help. I'll be back. <laughs> right? I mean, good for her. I'm so impressed. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm so proud of her. I, lo- I love stories like this. It's so redeeming after hearing, you know, some of the, you know, the bad stories, the bad, the bad side of human beings and things that we can do. And uh, well, like I always the say resiliency, they're like planning another boat trip. They're like yeah. still going at it. Like good for them. I know. They Just stay in the boat. <laughs> stay in the boat. I mean, Just the wait better for thing- the tide to come back up. Well, yeah, I mean, wait for the tide, call the coast guard before you chop your leg off. I mean, I mean, <laughs> just 
Just be like, I'm not going to get out of the boat. It's too dangerous, you know? But people don't. They never, people don't ever listen to me. But I'm, I'm the one in the boat going, everybody put on a life jacket. And, you know, you're on a pontoon boat or something. And they're all like, not putting out. And I'm just like, so I go and buy those life jackets that they're like really thin and they just lay over your shoulder. So they're not real cumbersome. They're almost like. Yeah. My grandfather is like a master chief in the Coast Guard. So you're like speaking his language. Everybody needs a life jacket. Everybody should know how to swim. Everybody should know how to do all these things. A hundred percent. I always say, um, Tina's full of tidbits, like, um, but everybody knows I'm crazy. And like, I'm, I'm like, don't go camping. Don't ride motorcycles. Don't climb on ladders. Like all the things that don't get, if you go boating where I'm not anti boating, but wear a life jacket. There are those life jackets. They're really cool. They just lay around your neck and they're deflated they have a little canister in them and if you get them if you fall into the water they literally just inflate all of a sudden they're awesome yeah i mean wear your life jacket get your tetanus shot in case a propeller takes off your leg all those little good health prevention things right perfect yes please get your tetanus shot (laughs) it's a good it's a good life lesson to live by get your tetanus shot really is (laughs) well i guess that kind of does it we can wrap it up for for today we're gonna i didn't even talk about this everybody knows i'm a huge brandy carlisle fan i talk about it all the time i love brandy i don't know if you know who brandy carlisle is i know brandy i'm not that young thank what? you what <laughs> so i'm not that young i know brandy carlisle oh, I, i'm not either i'm older than you are but i i oh my gosh I, like i'm her i'm her biggest fan like there she is so but I went to see her recently in Washington, D.C. and she, I, uh, at six, the Sixth and I Synagogue. And it was the coolest thing. I got to sit in the front row, in the very front row. And she was literally right there on the stage, right in front of me. It was crazy. And there was a, even a point, I feel like I can talk about stuff like this at the end of the show. Because if you've hung around this long, you probably, maybe you, you kind of like listening to me talk i hope uh, the other people have bailed earlier in the true crimes y- y'all are out of here the people who stick around this long are like my tried and true people that that email me and message me and stuff you put up with me a little more but oh my gosh she was right there and she the so one of the her biggest story one of her biggest songs is the story the story um, yeah now i know all of her songs on every album i like i'm not even kidding you i love all of her songs but and at the very end of this, she's, uh, the line is, um, it's, and it's true, I was made for you. It's the very, very last line of the song. And I'm, I, I'm not even making this up. So I'm standing there with my husband. And there's another nurse randomly, total random person sitting to my right was a nurse. Not kidding. And directly behind me, another nurse. Oh it was the goodness. weirdest thing because, of course, we all talk. We're all, this is all Bramley. This is all Brandy Carlisle fans. Everybody, because they were, we were the, the Brandy Carlisle Did you just true. Say Branley? Bramley? Like, fam- like, like Brandy Carlisle family. Brandy family. Okay. Like a fanalo, but for Brandy Carlisle. Yes, exactly Got like it. that. Okay. Following. So you, yeah, I mean, and I, so you, we were the only ones invited to this. It, it was a big deal. And so everybody there thinks they're the biggest fan. They're, they're not. It's me, but I'm just saying they think well, they are. Well, you were close enough to touch her. I mean, yes. You're you're the biggest fan with boundaries, right? Right, because you could like be that close, but not do something. I didn't do it though. I didn't. Right. But then, (laughs) what was so weird is she looked down and literally, as she said the the line, and it's true. I was made for you. I'm I'm not making this up. She deliberately like looked right at me and and sang it to me. I'm not kidding because I was. I thought, did I just? Did I just? Like I melted. I swear I did. Did that really just happen? And and I and when it, when she did that, everybody around me reacted to it, and and uh, the person, uh, the nurse to my right, she goes, she's saying that right to you, and the person behind me said, man, you're having the best night, and I just, my husband was like, oh my god, like it was, I swear, I, it's really, I haven't talked about it a whole lot, just because I I feel like I'm so obnoxious, I but I wanted to just take a moment to acknowledge that she did sing to me. You lived your like, Bramalo. Bramley, Bramley dream. Bramley. Yes. Bramley yeah. So dream. that was uh, that just made my it absolutely made my whole year and all of twenty two. It was just just amazing. And so tonight we're going to watch. Uh, after this, we're going up and we're going to watch her um, Christmas special. She's doing a Christmas special from her house. Um, oh, like online. 
Mm-hmm. She does them a lot. Invited into the. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. That's I'm exciting. I'm kind of crazy. I'm I'm, I'm pretty not much... doing that. I'm doing something different. <laughs> I'm going to see the Slutcracker. It's a Boston. <laughs> it's a Boston favorite, and it's <laughs> <laughs> strippers who do the Boston ballet version of the Nutcracker. That is hysterical. Um, and for those people from the Northeast, like it's like a famous Boston thing. Like they've been doing it for twenty plus years. And it's fabulous every year. I highly recommend it. That is so funny. Oh my gosh. I've never heard of it. I love so it. You'll enjoy Brandy Carlisle, and I'm going to see my version of the Nutcracker. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like two wonderful evenings. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast again, Justin. You're welcome back anytime. I'm sure we'll be reaching out to you again at some point to come back. This is always so much fun. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And you guys, please send me your emails nice ones the good ones if you if yeah, you don't you want to listen the bad stuff at me just find me on twitter and just i can take it it's fine yeah send everything to justin if you didn't like anything we said including me just send it all to him <laughs> <laughs> and if you decide you don't maybe the podcast isn't for you i mean you could just go away quietly i don't mind you're not gonna hurt my feelings you don't have to necessarily let me know <laughs> <laughs> I but was the okay. straw that broke the camel's back. <laughs> it's okay. I'm I'm just kidding. Everybody's been really sweet. Everybody's awesome. I love it. But Tina at goodnursebedners.com. That's my email. You can find uh, find us on social media at goodnursebedners. And um, our website is goodnursebedners.com. And I also want to remind you guys that even if you're a bad girl or a bad boy or a bad whatever you are, be a good nurse. <laughs> <laughs>